0: Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. Um, it, it, I hope you're having a great day wherever you are. It's nice where we are right now. Um, it, it's we're still in winter, but but it's it's really pretty outside and all that. So ready to go out and take a walk in a little bit, but. But I needed to do this first. So glad to be with you today. Hope you're, uh, you're doing well. So to, to what we're looking at still is in, in um, Matthew 5, the um, Sermon on the Mount. And so we have covered several things. And yesterday we looked at laws of retaliation. Jesus tells us what to do when somebody um, sins against us, when an evil person particularly sins against us. Uh, what are we supposed to do? How, what is our attitude supposed to be towards those things? And, and we're going to get more of that today, but, but I think this is probably the most important principle that, that we can actually run up against, uh, and, and it's, it's something that we as Christians need to be really, really good at, and it's not something that I've been particularly good at for, for much of my life. Um, I wish I had, um, because it, it's important in a, in, the, in a way that really matters because it changes our attitude towards people if we if we remember this one very simple principle that jesus taught and that is um as simple as love your enemies that's the whole point of today's um talk you've heard it said you you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you which i said yesterday jesus did to the end on the cross so did stephen so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So if it's important to you that you be a son of your Father who is in heaven, or a daughter, either way, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus makes that central in a way that he doesn't do with anything else so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son, S-U-N, rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. I mean, we all live in the same world, Jesus says. We, 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 we get bad things come into our lives, good things come into our lives, right? Makes sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, both those things are, are good in their measures, but if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, I'm done. How about you? <laughs> I don't know how you're feeling about that. I'm feeling hopeless when I read that. But but what's the point of all this? What is Jesus, what is his intention here? What's he trying to say? It's really simple. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What does that mean? Don't have enemies. Don't consider anybody your enemy. And that's really, really important. No matter how they think of you, don't think of them that way. And and why is that? What happens when we do that? Well, we dehumanize them. If you're my enemy, then I'm imputing all kinds of things to you. I'm imputing the worst possible motives on every single thing you do. That, that's the only thing that happens is is that I turn you into something other than me. It's what happened in Rwanda, right? So, I mean, I'll give you a brief history of Rwanda. Uh, white people messed it all up. That's the brief history of Rwanda. There, there was no indication that prior to the arrival of white people in the late 1890s in Rwanda, that anything, that there was dissension among the people, there was a, there was a very clear um Delineation of, of people, and that w- they were called Hutu Tutsis, and, and then Twa. The Twa were are dwarves, so it it's it's they're pygmies. So and there's very few of them. You're talking about one percent of the population, and and at the at the time when when all everything bad went down in the 1960s, that the it was like 15 percent Tutsi, 84 percent Hutu, and one percent Twa. Well, there there's, these distinctions had always been there. I mean, the Twa are just easy to spot. I mean, they are what they are. That physically, the Tutsi and the Twa uh, and the Hutu, uh, there's some slight differences among them, and I'm going to explain why. Because the Tutsi, until 1960, I think it's 1964, um, the Tutsi were the people who owned at least ten cows. If you didn't, you were Hutu, and so there's this mythology that grew up that says that. The Twa were the original people there, and then the Hutu came along, and they were hunter-gatherers. And then the Twa come along, and they um, they have animals. So that's the difference, is that, that they're wealthier by that point, but wealth being measured by the number of cattle they have. Very fluid. If you had 12 cows, and three of them got struck and killed by lightning, you, you were now a Hutu. And if you were you husbanded your animals well and you ended up having more than 10, then you moved from Hutu to Tutsi. It was very fluid between the two. And then white people come in and they get involved. And first it's German. And and then after World War One, it's that's taken away. Their holdings in Africa are taken away and the Belgians get it. And that's how you get things like the Belgian Congo. And so that's that's where all of this comes from. And so the the Belgians are sort of um, not very interested (laughs) <laughs> Frankly. And so the French end up in control, and the French decide, you know, this is too complicated. We, we need national identif- identification cards. And so they then lock those designations into place between Hutu and Tutsi permanently. If you are today, on the day we issue these cards, then you and all your family will be going forward. And then they began to treat them as different. That, that had happened along the way. The Belgians actually did that. They treated the Tutsi as, quote, noble and born to rule. And so they got all the government positions, they got all the best education and all that kind of st- stuff, and the, and the Hutu got the hindmost. Well, w- once the French finally looked up and said, you know what, this is not fair that this is that way, let's have a free and fair election. Well, I told you the percentages 15, 84, and 1. So everything got reversed. And, and the Hutu, after years of being subjugated, then took that out on the Tutsi and began to kill some of them and then began to exclude them from education and government jobs and all that kind of stuff. Well, because there was, you know, like six times the number of them. So they could do that so that there's this division. And then the, the longer this went on and so there they, was more persecution and more Tutsi left the country. And so now you got even fewer as a percentage of the total population. and and, and those identities had become the most important thing. I'm a Hutu, you're a Tutsi. And, and then a mythology began to grow up over that, and, and that mythology included things like that, that the Tutsis were actually children of the devil and they had tails. This in spite of the fact that there was intermarriage, <laughs> that it happened during this same period of time, and it would have been easy to say that's clearly not true. But then... It, 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 this this festering resentment just continues and continues and continues, and so ultimately it explodes. It exploded in 1994 in the summer of that year, in, from June to August, when about um, 800,000 people were killed in about 90 days. But it was because they had been turned into something less than human. They weren't fully human. They looked like it, but they had tails that they hid. And so they, they also began to call them inyensi, which means cockroach. And so again, you're dehumanizing people. And then that always goes in a bad direction. And I see it so clearly in America today. We see this vilification of the other. If their point of view is different than mine, then they don't have a right to exist. They are, they're Nazis, they're fascists, they're whatever you want to call them. And it's tiresome, but it's dangerous, it's very dangerous. And so Jesus' response to all this is, don't have enemies, because having enemies always ends badly. And so when, when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, he does exactly that in his life. And he calls us to do exactly the same thing. We need to get past the idea about being enemies and all that. What we need to do is remind ourselves what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Because what he, what he reminds us of is this. But be strong in the, in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Who are you fighting? Right? The devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's your battle. You don't have a person who is to be treated as an enemy. You do have an enemy because he wants to destroy you, which is what Peter tells us. But Paul's very clear here. And, and, and if you read that passage right there, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You read that and you think, holy moly, I am poorly equipped to fight that battle. And so Jesus always kept in mind who the real enemy was. And for him, the real enemy was never people. The real enemy was Satan. He knew that. Right from the start, he knew that. And we need to be better at recognizing that. Take a deep breath and say, what's my battle? What's my battle? Who's my enemy? Who am I fighting? And then pray for the person who considers you to be their enemy. Just pray for them right um we shouldn't treat people as our enemies as as christians jesus is saying don't have enemies it's just that simple don't think of other people as your enemy you do have an enemy but it's a spiritual enemy it's the one that wants to destroy your soul he says in other places don't be afraid of the one who only has the authority over your body and can throw you into prison no fear rather the one who has the authority and the power to throw you into hell and so if we keep it that way, then we fight the right battle. If, if we always remember that our battle is not with flesh and blood, then, then we come out way ahead on the other end of the other end of the scale. Because th- then we don't allow that to control our lives. We don't allow those things to come in and take over my thoughts. And to cause me to obsess over what am I going to do about this? How am I going to fix this? Here's what they're going to do. Here's what they, you know, their horrible thing, and, and therefore I'm going to impute all this to them. No, rather hit my knees and pray for that person and fight the spiritual battle. Just fight the spiritual battle for their soul and mine too. Because I could get caught up in that same thing and lose sense of, of any kind of um, priority and perspective. By doing that, and now I'm not treating you any longer as as one created in the image of God. I'm treating you as something else, and that's dangerous, dangerous business. So, so Jesus reminds us, you know, hey, we we all live in the same world together, And, and the and the reality is is that it's easy to follow the advice of loving your neighbor and hating your enemy. Everybody does that. He says tax collectors and Gentiles do that. The, in the kingdom, we're, we're to live in a different way, and he says you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is, is telling us really important things here, that, that we would love our enemies and persecute those who persecute us, makes us children of the Father who is in heaven. And how is that? He forbears with us. He forbears with us. He doesn't let justice triumph mercy. He gives us chance after chance after chance. He gives us life. He gives us hope. He gives us everything we have. No matter whether we're for him or against him, we receive everything we have from his hand directly. We all live in the same world. We're all created in the image of the living God. And and it's incumbent upon us as Christians to restore the humanity of people who would consider us their enemies. It's important for us to remember who they are, that they are, people who are created in the image of God. They're potential image bearers. They're potentially brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul's a perfect example, right? I mean, he's one who was turned completely around, went from being a persecutor of the church and a hater of Christ to the greatest missionary in the history of the world. I mean, nobody had more apostolic success than Paul did. And what is Paul's attitude towards this? Well, what does Paul say in Romans 12? He says, um, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god for it's written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord that's important that's an important part of your thought process and this is is i'm going to let you i'm going to give you to the lord i'm going to let him deal with this i'm not going to deal with it i'm going to let him deal with this and he says to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, and that, it, it fits in with yesterday's lesson, but, it, but it's absolutely true. That last sentence is so important. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You're, when you fight back and when you argue and, and, and hate people and treat them as your enemy, you are actually allowing evil to overcome good within you. And we just have to turn that around and say, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let give that thought or that idea of free reign in my life, because that makes me less than human. It makes me less than a Christ-bearer. I, I trust that God has all things in his hand. I believe in the sovereignty of God. And so whatever happens, happens according to his will. And whatever his will is, because he's a good God, is necessarily good in some shape, form, or fashion that I cannot possibly see in any given moment. I can't make that judgment because I don't know everything that I need to know in order to make that judgment. But I do know this, that, that, that I can control myself. I can control the way that I feel about you. Maybe not in, in a particular second I'm going to have an emotional reaction, but I have to take control of that. And it's not being stoic. It's way more than being stoic because it's going the extra step of love. It's not just receiving and not getting upset. No, it's responding in love to whatever happens. I want to point you to something else. Since we were talking about that passage from Romans 12, I want to point you to um, a a different passage, and that passage is um, Proverbs 25, verse 21. Paul quotes it directly here, but he leaves out the last part, and this is why I think it's important to remember this last part. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head. Exactly right, right? That's exactly what Paul says. So Paul is quoting from Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22, but then he leaves out this last part, and the Lord will reward you. Jesus links that reward with being sons and daughters of our father who is in heaven you want a reward you can go from being created in the image of God to being a child of God when we do these things because it's what he does for us in order to win us over he he sees us he feels compassion for us and he sent his son to come and die for us that we may be with him forever If anybody ever poured coals on their enemies' heads, it's God. That's the whole purpose of sending his son. We who are enemies of the cross, Paul says, are now brought near and made friends, sons and daughters of the one we despised. We should extend the love of Christ in that same way because he commanded it and because he lived it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.